can do that. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21, as you're turning, if you have pages, some of you are scrolling on your devices, however you're getting there, get to Revelation 21. If you're scrolling, please try to avoid the temptations to look at other things, check your email, check your social media. If you're turning in pages, please avoid the temptation to turn over to the maps in the back and whatever might possibly distract you there. Revelation 21 I want to preach to you this morning on the question, what's so great about heaven? What's so great about heaven? I'm, I'm somewhat relieved. I have to just be open and honest. We try to just be genuine and real. And um, last Sunday was a little bit of a heavy sermon. And if you've ever had to teach or talk about hell, you know the burden that it is. And I was just, I have to, I just honestly was relieved when I had the freedom to preach on heaven this morning. Like, Lord, thank you for giving me a break from such a heavy topic. But heaven is a real place. Heaven is just as real as hell is. But I'm glad that we have the reality of Scripture. I want us to see some things this morning, but I want to really focus on what heaven, why it matters that heaven is real, why it matters right now. Heaven is not just for those who have passed. I have stood, as some of you have, in this past week, for, for some reason the Lord timed this sermon at a time when we've had a number of folks in our church family that their family members are, they have passed away. We've been by the graveside and to funeral services a number of times. There's some coming up this week of loved ones who have passed. Some of you have gone through that this week. You've experienced that grief. And the blessing of heaven, what a powerful truth that is. It is our hope of what is to come, that we will see our saved loved ones again. That's the hope that we have. And again, I remind you that hope is not something that I would like to happen, but I'm not really sure in the Scriptures. A hope is a faith-based assurance of something that gives me hope that I know for sure that those who have gone to be with the Lord, we will see them once again. It is our hope of eternal life. It is our hope and knowledge that we will live on forever. It is our hope of eternal restoration of our permanent restoration of our relationship with God that we will be together with him forever. As we think about that this morning, there's a lot of things about heaven, a lot of misconceptions, a lot of ideas about heaven. And I thought about traveling, and I thought about, you know, when, when you're traveling in these days, you, you sort of can go online and you can find all sorts of reviews about people that have been places. And you can read about the places that they've been and find out, is this a place that I want to go? Is this a hotel that I want to stay in? Is this a restaurant that I want to eat at? And we find out based on someone who has been there. I was reminded this week there's a little place in Virginia called Mount Athos. Anybody been to Mount Athos, Virginia? Exactly what I thought. Some of you aren't real sure. Right at the foot of Mount Athos is a little place called Moore's Country Store. If you're not sure where it is, it's right where Possum Creek runs into the James River. How many of y'all have heard of Possum Creek? Okay, no, nobody, one person's heard of Possum Creek. This little country store is known for two things. One is it has a tree growing through its roof. <laughs> if you've ever been down the highway nearby there, you'll remember, you probably have seen it. Uh, somewhere along the line, the tree was too close to the building, and I guess instead of moving the building or cutting the tree down, they just built the roof. So there's a hole in the roof, and the tree grows up through it. The other thing that apparently it's known for is chili dogs. 
If you go and you look at the reviews of people who have been to this place, and some of y'all are just ready to take a road trip just as soon as the service is over, some of you thinking, can I leave out, can I pretend to go to the bathroom and make it to the parking lot? Apparently, I've not, I've been by that store many times and I've never stopped to have a chili dog there. Um, apparently, the, the, the chili is spicy and the slaw is good, is the, this, the report that I get from it. Uh, one person said that you need to make sure and take a drink with you to survive the experience. Now, I'm not sure if that means the chili is so hot you need to have a, a beverage to cool you down or if the, the experience is so traumatic that you need something stronger to drink. But take a drink, they said. Someone who has been there, who has experienced and told us about it. There's a lot of people that talk about heaven. And maybe they've been there, maybe they haven't. Maybe they've had some experience. But there are two people in the Word of God who have actually been to heaven and told us some things about what heaven is like. Paul the Apostle went there. He said, I knew a man, speaking of himself, I knew a man who was called up to the third heaven. And he saw things which cannot be uttered. It's interesting to me that some folks experience, say they experience heaven and they come back and they write bestsellers. Paul experienced heaven for sure and came back and God said, don't tell it, don't say anything about it. So we don't know a whole lot about Paul experienced heaven as it is now. Heaven is where the presence of God is. And Paul, when he died, went there. He came back. God sent him back. He was not done with him yet. But Paul saw what heaven as it is now is like. The second person is the Apostle John in our text this morning. And he sees heaven. He sees the, what we call the eternal state. It's not merely heaven, but it is a new heaven and a new earth and a new city of Jerusalem. And Paul, John sees what is yet to come. He is seeing something that is not yet. God gives him this vision into the future of what is going to take place and what heaven and the new heaven and the new earth will be like. And as he goes there, he writes to us and he gives us some things. God gives us some insight into what heaven is going to be like. He gives us a review, a travel review, if you will, of heaven. And we can trust these things because this is not the speculative opinion of somebody who had a good chili dog. This is someone who has been there and is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these things about heaven. Look at these things, if you will, this morning, and we'll see what's so great about heaven. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Can we say amen to that? There shall be no more death. We can say amen to that as well. Neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. There's a lot of misconceptions about heaven. Some people have the idea of heaven. Again, these ideas of folks who've never actually been there, there's sort of this cartoonish picture that we're going to be floating around on clouds, wearing white robes and golden circles over our heads, strumming a harp, 
Boy, doesn't that sound like a wonderful eternity. And there are people who think, boy, if that's, the, if that's what heaven is, I'm not sure that's, that's going to be that great. There are others who focus on the lesser beauty of heaven. Things that are wonderful, nonetheless. Things that are valuable. The, the gold street and the mansions and the gates of pearl and all those wonderful things. And they speculate about all those minor things, but they miss what is most glorious and what is greatest about heaven. There are others who deny that heaven even exists. Ah, oh, it's just some pie in the sky that somebody made up, that some, some person just wanted to believe that there was something after death, and they, there's really no such thing. It's just, you just believe in that sweet by and by. There are those, when it comes to heaven, that are mistaken about going to heaven. If you ask them, they're convinced that they're going, but they will tell you, if you know why you are going into heaven, if you were standing before God right now and he should ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? They would say, well, I'm a member of Central Baptist Church. If you're a member of our church, I say praise the Lord, but that's not going to get you into heaven. And if you're a member of Central Baptist Church and you're not going to get into heaven, there's some things we need to talk about. I did some good works. My parents were good people. I was raised in a Christian home. There's all sorts of reasons that people think that they are going to heaven. And then there are those who are going to heaven, but they're not preparing for heaven. They're, they would say, yes, heaven is a reality. I believe in heaven. But they're not living as if it is a reality. What is so great about heaven? What is the reality of heaven? Let me point out a few things to you, but then I want to get to what the most important, glorious thing about heaven means for us right now in the way that we live and what we seek after. The first thing that John tells us, he tells us that what is great about heaven is the glory of heaven. Heaven is going to be a glorious place. Do you see that heaven is new? Heaven is pristine. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I'm reminded of Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 23, where he talks about this creation groaning under the curse and longing for the redemption. There is going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And when you think about how glorious the beauty of this earth can be, think about what the new earth is going to be like. It's going to be astounding. It's going to be glorious and beautiful and new. Not just new in time, but new in its priority and new in its kind. Restored to its original intent and condition. Do you remember what God said when He created this earth and He looked around and He said, God saw all that He had done and He said what? It was good. When we look around our world today, we have to say there are some good things in this world, but this creation, this world is not good. It will be good again. He says it is a new heaven and a new earth. It's not only pristine, but John says that it was also pure. He said, I saw the holy city coming down from God. It is pure. It is holy under every dispensation that God has interacted with man, there has been falls and there has been the potential for sin and the potential for the fall. God created a perfect creation in Genesis, and yet man sinned. 
And all through the history of man's interaction and God's interaction with man, there has been the capability of sinfulness, even in the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ that is described in Revelation chapter 20. It is a time in which there will only the saved will enter in, but there will be those who are born and their children, and they will have the capability, and at the end of this perfect rule of Christ on this earth, what happens? Satan is released again, and mankind who has lived for a thousand years in perfection, sins. But in this new heaven and new earth, there will be a holy city and there will be no more capability of sin. Boy, I say praise the Lord that there's no more death and there's no more crying, but I am excited that the fall and the curse, Revelation 22 tells us, is taken away. There was no more curse. Why? Because we struggle every day with the potential and the desire to sin, the capability of sin. And I will be glad to be freed from that because it will be a holy city. John says the glory is also in its perfection. It was a city, a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. What do we know about things that come down from heaven? from God. Every good and perfect gift is from above, is from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, James 1 says. It's going to be perfect. You know, there are some people who can find a flaw in anything. I have met some Christians that would probably have criticized Jesus' sermons. Not any of y'all. I'm not thinking it's any of you. There's probably some of y'all that could. I don't care what restaurant they go to, there's going to be something wrong. I don't care what sight they see, they've seen better somewhere else. They can walk into a building and it looks perfect and that wall's crooked over there. There's a flaw. They can see. I've been, Christians are this way and I think especially Baptists are this way. But they see these flaws. They, I think there's probably some Baptists that are going to be disappointed when they get to heaven because they're not going to find any flaws. It's perfect. God is the one that designed it. God is the one that has built it. And we also know that it's glorious because it has been prepared by God. As a bride, he said in that verse 2, as a bride prepared for her husband. I'm reminded of two passages. I'm reminded of John chapter 14, where Jesus said, I go to do what? I go to prepare a place for you. Someone said that, God created this entire universe in six days, and he's been working on our place for 2,000 years. I'm not sure that the time make difference makes any, any difference, but I do know that whatever God is preparing, whatever Christ is preparing for us, is going to be a place of glory. I was talking with someone just this week, and we were discussing the danger of losing our wonder. You remember when you were a child and things just amazed you? Simple things. And then as we grow older, the things that are glorious and, well, they're not, it's no big deal. Look at this waterfall. Oh, I've, I've seen something bigger. I've, look at this mountain. Uh, it's, it's nice, but I've, I've seen bigger and better. We can look at this building and everything, we lose our sense of wonder. I want you to know that when we get to heaven, it is going to be eternally and infinitely wondrous. We are going to be filled with wonder through eternity. Why? Because God is the one who has made this place of glory. We could say that heaven is great because of its glory, but notice in verses 4 and 5, the goodness of heaven is what makes it great. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There'll be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. 
Anybody felt any pains this morning? Anybody glad that there's going to be no pain in heaven? And he says, all of these things are the former things are passed away. Heaven's good because of some things that are going to be there. And it's interesting that throughout chapter 22, he details some of these things. Here's the beauty, here's the wonderful good things that are going to be in heaven. But he also gives multiple things that will not be in heaven. There'll be no tears, there'll be no death, there'll be no pain. Back in verse 1, he says, there was no more sea. John is isolated on the Isle of Patmos, surrounded by ocean, surrounded by sea. And we love the ocean, we think it's a place of beauty. But for John, it was a prison. It was the walls to his prison. And God says, there's going to be no more separation from those that you love. No more sea. You could go over into chapter 22. We won't take the time this morning. But it says there's no light there. There's no night there. And there's no light because the Lamb is the light. The Lord God gives them light. I love this in verse 3. He says, there shall be no more curse. All the bad things of this earth are gone. Heaven's going to be a good place. Heaven is going to be a place not only that is good for us, it is going to be good to us. It is good to be there. I think about Peter and James and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter often said some crazy things. Peter was great at sticking his foot in his mouth. But do you remember what he said when, when they were on the Mount of Transfiguration? It's so simple that it almost seems like it's ridiculous. He says, Lord... It is good for us to be here. I want you to know that being in the heavenlies, being in the presence of God, it is good for us to be there. And as we'll see in a moment, that doesn't have to wait till we get to heaven. The heaven, we're talking about the heaven, the blessing of being in the presence of God, the blessing of entering into the holy of holies, the blessing of being in a relationship and a walk with God is not just something for those who have passed. It is for us in the present. And he says, this is glorious and this is good. The grace of heaven is great. Verse 6, I am the Alpha Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Look at verse 7. He that overcomes shall inherit all things. I will be his God and he shall be my son. What is it that gets us into heaven? Well, what did John say in 1 John? He said, this is what overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is the overcomer that he is talking about? He is the one He has placed his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And when we place our faith in Him as our Savior, it is by that faith that we overcome. And by that overcoming, we are adopted into His family, and we are inheritors of all things. We have our inheritance in Christ Jesus. And He says, these are the ones who will be welcome. Do you know that every person who will be in heaven will be a trophy of God's grace? and a testimony of God's grace. Why? Because no one will be able to walk around in heaven with their thumbs in their lapels saying, look at what I did to get here. You might be here, Pastor Jeremy, but I did more to get here. I was better than you. That will not take place in heaven. Why? Because every single person that is in heaven will be humbled by the truth and by the fact that we did nothing to get there except place our faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, 
Paul says that in the ages to come, verse 7, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace toward us through Christ Jesus. What does that mean? That means that we're going to be walking around in heaven, not as trophies to our good works, but as trophies of the grace of God, so that God's grace that was poured out upon us and by which we are received into heaven, that will be our testimony for ages to come. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we'll know us days to sing God's praise than when we first begun the song of amazing grace, and our lives, our presence in heaven will be a testament to the grace and the mercy of God in His kindness to us through Christ Jesus. Heaven's a great place of all these things, but I want you to see in verse 3, heaven is a great place because of the God of heaven. This is what makes heaven heaven. I hear people say, and sometimes we say, boy, this is heavenly. I have had moments where um, there were places that I was that I, I was almost overwhelmed. I remember being on a, a mountain trail some years ago, and I've never since or before, I think, been so sensorily, sensorily overwhelmed in the aroma and the feel and the moment of God's greatness and the beauty of that moment what I was seeing, what I was feeling, what I was, the breeze that was blowing. I, I experienced the glory of God in that moment. There have been times when things have been wonderful. I remember several years ago, this is going to sound so carnal, but I took a bite of a steak. And you know in the, in the movies when things sort of blur and the sound around you gets sort of warbled and I had that moment. It was heavenly. Or we would say that, oh, that's a heavenly moment. Some of you, when you saw your spouse for the first time, it was heavenly. Some of you, it was otherwise, but we won't go down that path. You know what I'm talking about. There are moments on this earth that we say, I mean, let me just say, as wonderful as those moments are, many of them are gifts from God. They are nothing like it's going to be to enter into heaven and to enter into the presence of God. Why? Because all these other things may be gifts from God, but heaven is going to be the presence of God himself. Look at this verse. I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. His presence is there. The word tabernacle is the word dwelling place. His dwelling place is with men. God is not going to be in the heavenlies and we're here and His presence is through other means. We are going to be in His presence. His tabernacle is there. Someone has said that heaven is an unknown region with a well-known inhabitant. His presence, but notice the permanence of this. He says, he will dwell with them. In the Old Testament, the presence of God would come into the tabernacle, but then it would depart. The child born in 1 Samuel, they named him because the glory has departed. There was a time when one of the prophets spoke and he saw the vision and he saw the vision of the glory of God leaving the temple and leaving the city of Jerusalem. But in this place and in this time, the presence of God, the glory of God will never depart. 
It will be an eternal, infinite expression and experience of the glory and the greatness and the presence of our God that we were created and recreated for. We were born for and we were reborn to engage in the presence of God. And we seek after so many other things. We seek after the things of this world. And sin is nothing but this world's attempts to satisfy what God created us for. And we think we can find satisfaction and we think we can find joy. And the only thing that will satisfy is the glory and the presence of God. And there it will be permanent. His possession, notice in this verse he says, they will be His people. The prominence of this is God Himself. And God, do you see the word God repeated in this section? God is with them. God Himself. They shall be, and He will be their God. And God shall wipe away the tears. The focus on this is God. Heaven is more about a person than a place. Some people say, well, where is heaven going to be? I don't know, but I know that it's going to be where God is. And that's what matters. His preeminence, he shall be their God. Richard Baxter said, my knowledge of this life, of that life, is small. The eye of faith is dim, but it is enough that Christ knows all, and I will be with him. I don't have to know everything about heaven. I don't have to know all the answers. I don't have to know to be able to tell you everything that it's going to be like. I know that Christ knows all, and I will be with Him. And that is what will make heaven such a glorious place. What does this, what does this do for us? I'm not preaching this this morning so that you will have a greater knowledge of heaven. I want your knowledge of heaven to be based on the Scriptures. My purpose this morning is not merely to bring comfort to those who are sitting here this morning and they are experiencing grief of a loved one who's gone on before. I hope that this truth comforts you. I hope heaven is a wonderful, blessed comfort to you. But that is not the point. That is not the purpose. Heaven is not just for those who have gone there. Heaven is for us now. To to know the presence of God. To be in the presence of God. To enter into His presence. Jesus would say several things. The Scriptures say several things about our relationship to heaven. First of all, we should lay up for ourselves. Matthew chapter 6, lay up not for yourself treasures on earth where moth and dust doth corrupt, and thieves do not break it where they break through and steal, but lay up for yourself rather treasures in heaven where moth and dust doth not corrupt, and thieves do not break through and steal. And yet we spend so much of our lives laying up treasures on this earth. Jesus says, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Students, you that are preparing in the next few years to go into life, don't seek after the treasures of this earth. Seek after the treasures of heaven. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Then all these other things will be added unto you. We're not only to seek after heavenly treasure, we're to love heavenly things. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 1, set your affection on what? Things above, not on things of this earth. If we get this right, guys, we'll get the rest of it right. Jesus said, where your heart is, or where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If my treasure, if I'm laying up treasures in heaven, it's going to be easy to set my affection on things above. 
If you're struggling with loving the things of heaven and the things of God, and I really wonder how there's some people that say, I want to go to heaven. Heaven, if you can't handle the heavenly things on this earth, what makes you think you're going to enjoy them when you get to heaven? But we lay our treasure up in heaven. That's where our heart is also. But here's the most important thing I want to say to you this morning. We are to live in heavenly places. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6. He has made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. If the glory of heaven is to be in the presence of God, if the glory of heaven is to experience that connection that He is our God and we are His people, then the most glorious thing, the most blessed thing, the most sought-after thing in our lives ought to be to enter into the presence of God. To come and to come and draw near to Him, to do what Psalm 90 says, to dwell in the secret place of the Most High, to enter into His presence, to do what Hebrews says, that seeing we have these promises, dearly beloved, let us draw near with a true heart. Are you seeking after the presence of God? That's what's going to make heaven so glorious. That's what's going to make heaven so wonderful. And if it's so wonderful then, it is wonderful now. And that is what we pray for as we pray for revival. We're not just praying for an exciting feeling. We're not just praying for enthusiasm. We are praying that we will draw near to God. God has promised, if you will draw near to me, James 4, 8, if you will draw near to me, I will draw nigh to you. And as we seek after the presence of God, and we enter into His presence, we can, by Jesus Christ, enter into that presence. And just like one day we will enter into His permanent presence in heaven, we can enter into His presence now by Jesus Christ. Let us draw near with a true heart, with clean hands and a pure heart. Psalm 24 said, Who shall ascend into the presence of the Lord and to the hill of the Lord? He that has clean hands and a pure heart. That's why we call to holiness. That's why we call to repentance. Because if we want to enter into God's presence, we want to draw nigh to Him and experience His presence now, not just one day when we get to heaven, but right now, we come with clean hands and a pure heart. And we draw close. We do what it takes to draw close. I believe firmly that there are some Christians that hope that we will have a national revival for the reason that it will somehow return us to decades ago. And let me just say that decades ago, they needed revival as much or more than we need it right now. Hundreds of years ago, we tend to think, oh, it was so wonderful. Why do you think God sent the great awakening to this nation? Not because it was so wonderful, but because God's people needed to be stirred. And they needed to experience the presence of God, just like we do now. And there are some who want the enthusiasm, the excitement, but they're not willing to take the steps to draw near to God. And if we're going to draw near to Him, it will be with repentance of sin, putting away the things in our life that would hinder us and would come between us and God. The things that would hinder our prayer life. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. To put those things aside, to come into His presence and experience heaven now. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great preacher of years ago, said, that's what revival is. Revival is the days of heaven on earth. That's what we 
seek to experience and to know because that's what we're going to be experiencing in heaven. We will soon be with God, whether we acknowledge that or not. But God is calling us into His presence to experience Him, experiencing Him now, to see His glory, to see His presence, to know His presence. How hungry, how thirsty are you for heaven? I'm looking forward to the day when I'll go to heaven. And I'm going to see some people that I haven't seen in a really long time. I'm going to see Jesus. And I'm going to see friends. And I'm going to see family members. But the most glorious thing will be to, without end, be present with my Savior and my God. He will be my God and I will be His Son. I want to experience that now. I want to come into His presence and know that He is there. Father, I believe right now is the time to say what you will say and let your Holy Spirit speak to hearts that you will draw your people, that you will give us a desire to draw near into your presence as you have called us. And then as the psalmist said, to dwell there, to dwell in the secret place of the Most High, under the shadow of the Almighty, the shadow of the wings of the angels of the cherubim. And Lord, to stay there in your presence because that's what makes heaven so great. And what makes heaven great for eternity is what makes salvation so great now. Father, speak to our hearts. Draw us to yourself.